Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast, where we have open conversations about theology and culture. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark, and we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Theological Thursday, episode 13 of our third season. And today we got a treat for you. Me and James actually sat down and did a live Zoom meeting and invited some people to come in and uh, just ask questions. And so we're going to let you jump in. Uh, just so you know, the, the audio quality is a little bit different because of this, uh, but hopefully you'll be able to, to hear everything just fine and hear uh, other people ask their questions live, which is really how we started this whole thing was just sitting down um, having a conversation. So hope you enjoy today. And um, you're going to jump into kind of a middle of a conversation because uh, because we just uh, just started recording and let the conversation go, and then we kind of introduce it here in a couple minutes in. So, without further ado, enjoy our live Theological Thursday conversation. I always took it, whenever I seen um, Israel, I always took it as, like, the people, because it talks about them going from, like, Egypt to, like, the wilderness, and it always refers to them as, like, Israel, and I'm just like, how, how does a nation move? It does not. And so I always consider them to be like just uh, a group of people rather than like a nation. Yeah. 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 You have to go back to the promises though. Cause, cause God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, the Abrahamic covenant. So, you, so what is a nation? Nations. You know, the, the Hebrew, I think one of the big mistakes too, we, in the conversations, we say the, the assembly, the, the Kahal, is that, is that the Hebrew James, the Kahal, <laughs> the assembly? Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. It's actually a Hebrew yeah. term. And so the ecclesia, which is the church is actually in, in the LXX is Kahal is it's translated as Ecclesia. If I remember right, the assembly. And so you've got to also deal with, well, where, where, what, it, whenever even we say church or we say the assembly, are we even using that? Right. And, and I think that there's a, there's a, actually the body begins back here and the church is not a new body. It's actually grafted into this, but it's still a new. So there's a lot of, so even in my view of which I'm a dispensationalist, you know, I, there's even different nuances you have to go through that I follow with the languages as well. So a lot to it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's quite a conversation to muddle through. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm not even for sure what James. I don't, I don't, we haven't had a podcast over dispensationalism, have we, James? At all? No, it's partly because James doesn't I, I know what he is. Not, <laughs> like, I mean, what I what I typically do, I don't I don't often venture in the. Um, systematic theology field um you know i like to say i i, I deal with the more important stuff that's the tech <laughs> so, oh, <wow. laughs> just, just no it's i mean systematic theology is an outworking of it and so i do i will say um because i've never i've never liked to like say oh i'm a progressive dispensationalist or a covenant theologian or i i tend to not like those labels just because I tend to think if I say that, then all of a sudden I'm restricting what I think to those systems. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say a lot in my readings on it. um, I think Dre would actually probably know some of how those work better than I do, but in my readings on it, I probably actually do tend more towards a progressive dispensationalism than anything. Um, That's probably what I, I actually, in most things, those are the, that's probably the people I would agree with the most. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I think James, and really the question is, it's a hermeneutical question. 
And, and so yeah. I think I think when you really get to the heart of it, me and James probably have the same hermeneutics of what the authorial intent. Um, or mm-hmm. I, I actually I call my my hermeneutic. I got this from from Wallace. I call it a uh, Emmaus Road hermeneutic. Um, that's what Wallace calls his, which is you know Jesus is going through on the Emmaus Road. And he's explaining how all Scripture really led to him, mm-hmm. and it's it's but the context was correct. And so, um, so my, mine's much more of a intertextual intertextuality um is probably those that's the that's the hermeneutic that attracts me the most which intertextuality basically means um like you'll watch how the bible interprets the bible like you go into the old testament and you'll watch how certain old testament books are interpreting passages from other old testament books and um even the interpretations they're giving like if you were to you know, read the Old Testament passages interpreting, right? Let's just say, I'm just going to make, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um, Well, I mean, mean, part of it is even in the Gospels when they're interpreting these prophecies, right, that you find Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Well, when you go and you read the Old Testament passage itself, the way Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John are reading this passage, you're like, that doesn't seem like if you were just to isolate the old Testament passage and say, here's what it says, the way Matthew and the, and the way these other gospel writers are interpreting it doesn't seem like they're interpreting it in context. Um, but there is, there's some sort of intertextual hermeneutic going on where they're seeing there is a, there's almost a, um, a further revelation of what this passage actually meant. Um, and so, yeah, which that's progressive revelation, which, yeah, I mean, nobody that's a Protestant or evangelical is going to... Well, it's like yeah. Psalm 110 is another example. This Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted passages in all the New Testament, you know, when it says, "Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And I would say Psalm 110 is actually David writing about an ideal Davidic kingship. Um, but David didn't quite, I would also argue David didn't quite know how that was going to be fulfilled. Yeah. And so when he writes it, when this, when the Psalm is written at first, um, David might have even been thinking this was going to be true of his son. It might, he might have thought it was going to be true of Solomon himself. Mm-hmm. But then you go to the New Testament and all Psalm 110 is applied to Christ. Like it's, it's one of the most quoted. In fact, I think it is the most quoted Psalm yeah. in, in the New Testament. And it's all it's applied to Christ and his reign and his his actual sitting at the right hand of God. And so um, some people would see Psalm one ten as prophetic, but others would see it as, you know, basically, you know, the New Testament writers went back and they read the Old Testament in light of the Christ event. Yeah. And it and they changed how they were reading these passages. So yeah. Um, so I mean that's I guess that's another part of the hermeneutic. That is a hermeneutic that's affected by the Christ event. Right, where you kind of you're reading everything, um, you're reading a lot of things in light of that. And there's ways that can go too far, but yeah, there's, uh, then there's people that like to change it and say, well, the the, the apostles, because they are apostleship, they're able to actually change the original meaning whenever they're quoting these things, and that's where I think it goes too far. And some progressive revelationists they'll hold to that hermeneutic, which is it's called complementary, like it, you know, it complements it, but it's 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 a it's a deviation. So I I think that. You know that if I if there's a seems to be a discrepancy between the use of the old, new and the old, that that maybe we maybe we didn't understand the old well, and maybe they understood the old in a way, and maybe I need to 
look at both of those. Um, yeah. Because we're having, you know, these New Testament guys, Old Testament guys that are really good in their area, but they're not good in the other area, you know, as deep. And so they're just reading what the New Testament has said. Oh, this is what it must mean in light of this instead of seeing it as its whole Jewish context. Well, and, and an interesting question that can come into play there eventually is, okay, if, we, if we're going to adopt this, um, the New Testament writers were reading the Old Testament in a certain way, and they were uh, making some very uh, maybe creative hermeneutics there, like in how they're rereading some of these passages. So then the question is, is can we, can we actually repeat their hermeneutic, which is a, a very interesting question. Um, I'm always hesitant with that because, you know, I think inspiration comes into play and, but there is a debate among scholars of, Hey, can we figure out what were the rules that these new Testament writers were using to read these old Testament passages? And can we reread some old Testament passages? Maybe that they don't mention using that hermeneutic, um, which is a, I think can, I think that can be pretty dangerous ground and tricky. Um, well, and, that, and that's why I hold. I don't think the I don't think the New Testament authors are are doing some kind of inspirational hermeneutic. I think that I think they're tapping into a message that was already there in the Old Testament. That maybe, and that's that's yeah. just me. The true Israel and the non-true Israel. There was always this 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 promise. There was always this hope, even back from Genesis one. You know, the proto Evangelion that there was always going to be this seed, and so but people deviate from it, and you get that in, in some of the earlier Jewish writings too. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 like the meaning that they're looking at is not some meaning that's now being tacked onto it. It's a meaning that was always oh, there, there. It's yeah. now being revealed. They're, they're expanding it maybe, but they're not changing the meaning. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. They're saying here, here's what we didn't see. Here is a mystery. There is a progressive revelation. There's a new revelation, but it's not in conflict with the old. And that's, that's the more appropriate of which when we can apply that too, we can say, okay, now that now that the light of Christ, how does this change everything? So, yeah. yeah. Well, that was a fun little excursion there. So uh, thanks for that conversation, Anthony. <laughs> um, you're muted. Hold up one second, man. Let me unmute you. And by the way, if you want to talk, you should be able to just push uh, your space bar on your computer and that'll be like a walkie talkie. All right. What are you no, going to say? Okay. I, can hear you. Uh, I had a question to, uh, specifically about whenever you were talking about Psalms 110 and like the interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, does that same type of logic apply whenever people are like, interpreting like the end time prophecy because like i feel like people speak very like matter of factly about like (laughs) oh this means that and this means this and things Mm -hmm. like that but like when jesus was telling the disciples like i'm going to die and rise again they were like what is he talking about like you know something that simple and then also like whenever god was telling david like you there will always be one of your descendants on the throne like who would have known that jesus would have been that like you just think that from Three thousand years ago to now, if my man yeah. is correct. It would just be like a normal king yeah. of of David's line on the throne. Like you wouldn't think that like Jesus would be like the reason why, because it's like that's so much farther than like uh, what yeah. human understanding. And so that my question is short is like, does that same type of like interpretation apply to like the the end time prophecy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. Uh, I think the main difference between the two is the Christ event. Um, mm-hmm. So there's nothing like this is there was a certain event that happened. So Christ's death and Christ's resurrection is what changed everything, is what is what caused these New Testament writers in light of the event. This is what caused them to really fully understand what all these passages were talking about. Because like you said, yeah, I, I think David 
even the Psalm 110 is connected to Second Samuel 7, where God gives the covenant to David that he will be your son will be like a son to me. And he talks about his rule over the nations, that it's it's beyond Israel, that mm. there's this elevated kingship. Well, then what we realize also in the New Testament is you know, the New Testament, especially Paul is going to take this even further and talk about Christ's rule. And especially when he uses Psalm 110 in Ephesians, it's not just over the kings of the earth. It's over spiritual beings. It's over the entirety of the cosmos. So I think David doesn't even realize the full implications of the promise that God makes to him. But but I don't think it's completely, I think he realizes something though. And so I think that's the, it's not, I, I do believe that there was in Judaism, I think there, there is a train of thought where they are looking for a Messiah. They are looking for someone. Leviticus itself is saying, Hey, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be blood. And so I don't think it was that, Oh, no one, you know, it's this total 180 that we could never guess. But I, so I think the mystery is actually the fact that the way the Gentiles come in, I think that's the mystery in Ephesians. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll agree because actually my dissertation right now study is on this i've been looking a lot into judaism and second temple judaism and messianic expectations and i think there is yeah. some expectations of a messiah of cosmic significance yeah cast in the light of the davidic king that's right um and so i do think they expect it and that's um, key yeah. because people argue that but i, I do think that's clear in scripture when you read but yeah it. but back to your original question i, I think I think we have to be careful trying to apply the same hermeneutic to some of the end time stuff because we don't have something like the Christ event um, to really, cause that's, that's really what's at the center for the new Testament writers when they're quote unquote, rereading the old Testament. It's, it's, they've got an event. They've got something incredibly tangible mm-hmm. to re to reread some of this stuff. Um, and within time stuff, we don't really, we don't have that. And so yeah. it's harder for us to, to apply the same type of hermeneutic to end time prophecies. Um, and the only thing we can use for that is just realizing that Christ is on the throne and that he is this promised, he is this promised king. So we, we, we know, especially in the Old Testament, we at least know who, like if you think of Daniel 7, Daniel 9, if you think of Isaiah and the suffering servant, you think of some of these these messianic expectations, we at least know who the king is, right? Mm-hmm. But, but as far as coming into then like New Testament, coming into Revelation, coming into Thessalonians, interpreting the day of the Lord and some of that stuff, um, we are somewhat limited on that just because I don't think we have an event quite the – only, the only event we have is the Christ event to help us interpret it, but – Beyond that, like modern events aren't quite aren't the same. So I don't know if that makes sense, but, but yeah. Well, doesn't technically Jesus coming back count as like a Christ event since it is literally a Christ event? Just number two. Yeah, yeah, and so but the I, Orthodox, I think, the, the second return of Christ. I mean, that is what yeah. we believe. I mean, that's that that's one of the key things um, is that He is returning. Now, how it happens, all that kind of stuff is up for debate. But but yeah, the, there is so, a Christ event. So, yeah, I would argue then that, that the full revelation of some of these prophecies of the end time, we won't fully understand till the second coming, right? When, when the event itself happens. Now, we look forward to the event, yeah. um, and maybe we have a little more clarity. I mean, maybe we have a tad more clarity on what that looks like um, beyond, like, maybe different than what when the Old Testament was looking for. But even the Old Testament, you know, was looking forward to a, if you read Isaiah, I was looking forward to a suffering servant. Um, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, looking forward to 
to someone who would come in, who would suffer, who would die, who would, and now the Jew, Jewish expectations, um, uh, they kind of, especially when you get in the second temple literature, they, they get a little bit beyond suffering, but not even, they actually, but you read some and there's still some expectations of, yeah. uh, of someone who's going to come in, but it's also going to suffer. Um, but it's a little muddled there. Uh, so, I mean, maybe we have a little more clarity um, understanding the second coming than the Old Testament would have understanding exactly what it meant that Jesus would die and rise again. But yeah. But at the same time, I mean, that that's, if we're going to interpret in time prophecies, you know, we have to center it on the event of Christ coming again. And yeah. there's just some things that we, we, we obviously can debate all day long, but we just won't fully understand until Christ himself yeah. returns, which is why there's so many varying views on eschatology. Yeah. But the main thrust, I, I would argue that from the old Testament on, even into the new, the main thrust has always been there. It has not changed. It has been further revealed, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, gonna if I start showing you my cup on the screen, like you can see a little bit of it, but as, as time goes on, I'm showing you more, but it's still a cup, right? Um, the cup, the object I'm showing you has not changed at all. I'm just showing you different pieces of it as it comes onto the screen. And so in the same way, I think all the way back, even back in, in, in the, um, back to the, the old Testament writings, the prophets, the, the wisdom, all that stuff, it's been revealing this idea, which is, which is, it's really simple. It's this uh, Hebrew idea of shalom. It's wholeness, uh, peace, restoration, things being made new. It's, it's the garden we had to a second garden at the end. The story begins in a garden, it ends in a garden. Um, it's, it's, it's everything renewed and better. Um, and so God is moving us somewhere and there is a result and, and how all the minor details of that work out, we may not know. And we need more progressive revelation, which will happen whenever God reveals it, whenever Christ returns. Uh, but the whole, so you can't, you can't miss the, the forest for the trees, you know, you, you can't, you, so, and a lot of people do, they don't, they don't know the whole meta narrative, um, mm. which I think has been consistent. I think, I, I think my reading of scriptures has been consistent back from Genesis on to Revelation. Yeah. Um, and so, but what happens is people just pick on little things and then they're, they're looking through their doctrine into little parts of the story and they're saying, oh, this matches what I think is going to happen. This matches what I think is going to happen. They're not reading it in light of the context, not only of the letter or the work, but in the context of the whole canon um, mm -hmm. and seeing what's going on. So, so there's a lot. Of, and then you get all these, you know, crackpot theories out there too. So. Yeah. Is the day of the Lord our day or God's day? Well, there you go. The day, the day of the Lord, that's the, that's the huge one. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and so the day of the Lord from Hebrew thought all the way to is always this day of, um, for some it's a day of extreme judgment. And for some it's a day of, <laughs> um, of restoration. It's a day of salvation. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. It's a day for the, when the righteous will be a lot of times in the old Testament, the day of the Lord. Um, it's a day when today, you know, it's a day when the Lord will be exalted, but it's a day when the righteous will be vindicated, especially when you look at Jewish literature. I mean, a lot of it is when they reference the day of the Lord, um, you know, and second, especially in second temple Judaism, mm -hmm. they interpret the day of the Lord as, you know, they're going through persecution, especially uh, during the time of Antiochus the fourth, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, experiencing incredible suffering and mm. some of the, some of this literature, they will like, especially apocalyptic literature, they will often use these spiritual metaphors in this picture. Um, they'll often try to explain what's going on in the world using spiritual imagery, talking about there's a spiritual warfare going on, but anytime, a lot of times the day of the Lord is mentioned, it, it is this, um, 
you know, this idea that the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be punished. Um, Which can happen in moments. And there's also where it's finally. So I think there's little days of the Lord and there's the day. And so, um, you know, almost this, this model of, of what's going to come, but there's also still days where where the day of the Lord does happen in in history, you know, but it's all looking forward to this ultimate restoration, this ultimate Shalom, this ultimate um, second garden where everything is put back. Right the hope that we have of that future. And that really is the driving expectation of the meta narrative. So, yeah. So are they talking about nation Israel or people Israel whenever like it's talking about the restoration and all that? Yeah. And now you're back to your first question. Has the church yeah. replaced Israel? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. That, that, oh, I guess, I guess it might. Well, I mean, I feel like most people talk about the nation, like look at all that's going on in the middle East rather than like yeah. people. Does it change anything or not? It's, I think it does. Romans is clear that, that, not all Israel, Paul says, not all Israel is Israel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you've got to work through that one. Um, that's, that's a little, that's a thought yeah, process I mean, there. What, you even ask yourself in the Old Testament, what marks, what, what is the mark of Israel? Yeah. Is mm-hmm. it just you're born and your ethnicity is Jewish? Mm-hmm. Or is it more of, you know, the outward sign was circumcision, right? But then the New for Testament. For men. What about for women? <laughs> for, yeah, but what about for women, right? But then, you know, ultimately what is Scripture talks about circumcision is just an outward sign. What's important is the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. Which is what you get into, especially in Galatians, starts dealing with that. Mm. Um, especially when you're having problems with the Jews and the Gentiles fighting with each other, especially Jews not wanting to include Gentiles or Jews expecting Gentiles. Hey, if you're going to become a believer, you also have to be circumcised. But then, you know, Paul emphasizes, hey, it's a, Colossians talks about it's a circumcision not made with hands. Right. And so there's a mm. spiritual circumcision of the heart. And this is actually what marks the people of God. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think. I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I have thoughts on how, how much I want to reveal my cards on like, <laughs> some of that stuff. But um yeah. I do think we have to be, I will say, I do think we have to be a little careful about putting too much on the national side of it. But when you get to the national side, a lot of it is debates on the promise of the land, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the promise of there's a land that belongs to Israel. Um, that's where a lot of those debates tend to go. Is there a land that God is still holding and wants to restore to national Israel itself? Um Mm-hmm. But yeah. that I think that's where it gets a little more difficult. Yeah, very very difficult. So how is the uh, the structure of this supposed to go? Are we supposed to be asking questions or just listening? Yeah. So well, you know, now that we're kind of and we got everyone else here. So the point of this is, um, you know, for everyone listening, we're also going to put this on our on our podcast too. But the idea was, um, you know, me and James when we started this podcast, it was us literally sitting mostly at fuzzy, sometimes in an office. And just, we would talk about things. Uh, you know, we had our other boss, Tommy, our friend Tommy would be with us. And sometimes he'd ask a question or me and James would talk about what we were studying and, uh, and it just led into conversations. And so um, we wanted to do that in this moment of national pandemic. We wanted to have a space where we could all come together and um, kind of invite you in. Cause that's what the whole podcast was about. It was about community. It's not so much a one way content. That's why me and James do it. And so, um, so we're just inviting everyone in. And so um, if you're listening to this later, um, you know, wish you could have been here, but hopefully you can benefit from our conversation. But those who are here, if you've got any questions, me and James got things we can also talk about too. But if you've got questions, um, we're here just to talk and, and have uh, a theological conversation here on this Thursday and uh, dive into some things. So James, anything else you want to add to that? 
Yeah, just again, I think more, you know, we would love this to be more like Q&A, so the subject's driven by y'all. Um, and, and so just any questions you guys have. And, uh, and But, you know, again, if you don't have questions or you're like, oh, I don't really know what subject I want to talk about, we have subjects that we can, that we can go into. Um, but, yeah, I encourage you, those of y'all, you know, you can – put your video on, unmute your mic, uh, feel free to, to talk with us. So uh, Noah has a question here. Uh, Noah, you want to, you want to jump on? <laughs> I see it in the chat, but if, <laughs> if you want to unmute your mic and put your video on, you can. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, your, your question made me laugh, Noah. So go ahead and ask it. That's I don't want to, I want to <laughs> stay anonymous. Um, <laughs> We're not going to post the video later, so you're good. We're just going to post the audio from this on there. Yeah, yeah, it's just audio. So Perfect. No one will see your mustache that's half-shaven. That's really weird. I don't know what look, you did there. All, look, <laughs> great clips of clothes, okay? And I ran out of razors. It's been a tough week, okay? Um, that's great. His mustache is really there. I'm just messing with him. He's, he's got a glorious mustache. So, All right, Noah, what's your question, man? Uh, well, it's just – it's pretty general, but I was just curious on your – you guys' take on – Molinism and just like overall thoughts about it. Do you agree, disagree, pro- objections? I don't know. So one of the first things we do know is we always define our terms. So in, in your understanding, would you define Molinism for everyone? Um, well, I don't necessarily know if I can, but <laughs> <laughs> that might be your first clue, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and go ahead and best you can. What, what do you think it is? Luis de Molin, is that the guy who, who, who came with it? Am, am I right? Is Luis his first name? Uh, I'm, I think so. I think it is. It's, uh, it's, that sounds right. Yeah, maybe but, uh, Someone can fact check me on that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the idea that God, um, from my understanding, which is, you know, subjects be wrong, but it's the idea that God is, that there is, like an endless amount of possibilities, like an infinite amount of possibilities of the future, and that God is aware of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It primarily has to do with like predestination and the idea mm-hmm. of, uh, of God knowing or necessitating the future, I guess. And this is the, it's the idea that God is aware of every infinite possibility. Yeah. And because of that, it's like he he knows then, the then he chose then he chose the best one the the reality that we find ourselves in is one of the many options of which God foresaw and then he chose the option in which our reality currently is in and therefore that maintains his sovereignty and our free will mm-hmm. so he saw all the options everyone can make option one two three and very close like multiverse theory you know lots of things there and then out of those um, chooses is that is that your understanding? kind of where you're going with it yeah or or more of the idea that he, um he knows all the possibilities and be, but he knows the possibilities we still have the free will to choose which possibility like each god knows it is which what is going to happen but he also knows anything that can happen that could have happened yeah yeah, yeah. Because so, there's only one, there's only one experienced reality. So, so yes, you know, so Molinism would say, well, how would, how would God have chosen the one, ex- but he chose the one experienced reality based on the best option of all of us and the infinite number of choices that every human being is making in one given timeline. He's looking yeah. at all those ways those could go and he's choosing this plan. 
is kind of the, and it is, it gets hard to explain because you're going into multiverse theory, all these different kinds of stuff. But yeah. James, do you have any more thoughts on Molinism as far as your studies of it? I've looked um, at it, so. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've done a ton of study on it. I'm actually looking at an article now uh, about it. Uh, this one is interesting. Uh, the acronym of, so Molinism is, I think, supposed to be some sort of middle ground between yes. Calvinism and Arminianism. Yep. Um, it actually, I think, I think it actually comes as the first response to in history. I think it actually comes to the first response to Calvinism before Arminianism, or maybe I got that backwards. But it's 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 unique in its history. Yeah. If you look at when it comes, it was the, the it was it was a Jesuit Luis de Molina, yeah, who yeah. was the founder of it in the 16th century. Um, was kind of the one who who started the movement. Um, but it's funny. It, they've got an acronym here for it, uh, you know, because Calvinism, Calvinism, TULA. Yeah, um, you know, you've got Arminian, which is Daisy, uh, which is pretty much most of Arminians' points are just a little bit opposite of Calvinism points. Mm-hmm. But then apparently here on this article, it's got Molinist. Um, their heart, it, their acronym is ROSES. And so uh, <laughs> the acronym is Radical Depravity instead of Total <laughs> Depravity. <laughs> Overcoming grace instead of, um, well, instead of irresistible grace. You've got sovereign election instead of unconditional election. You've got uh, eternal assurance instead of perseverance of the saints. And singular redemption instead of limited atonement. So, um, yeah, I'll be honest. I'm going to have to look more into that to see which of these I would agree with. Well, let, let me let me help you out, James, too, just because of my studies of it. And this might help answer the question. Yeah. Um, Molinism, <coughs> in my opinion, so it's debatable, and a Molinist would probably want to argue this with me. But in my mind, Molinism is no different in principle than Arminianism. Um, so let me explain myself. If God, if if the if the beginning timelines is based on man's choices, right? Whether God chooses that one or not, He's still choosing our choices. So, what is the foundation? Does what does man truly have this this absolute freedom in Because 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 you still get the same problem that, that Calvinism Arminianism fights about, which is the idea that it's either you 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 did the work or someone else did, or you had the choice and then God. It's the same baseline concept. So Molinism to me is just a confusing addition onto this idea of, of free will. So do we have this free will, freedom of choice or not? Does that make sense, Noah, kind of how I'm, how I'm arguing? It's, it's hard to explain, but at the end of the day, whether God chooses that I chose something, but I still had the control of the outcome at the end of the day. Now, God may have chose the best plan, but it's still based, it, is the basis on God's plan or is the basis on human action? which is yeah. the foundation and Molinism is still, it doesn't actually solve the problem. It just adds a layer, which I think is an interesting layer. I love the idea of multiverse. I think that's fascinating. I have nothing wrong with that, but at the, at the heart of it, it's still me making the choices and God responding to my choices rather than God making the choices um, and us responding to God's choices. Do you see the flip there? Yeah. I'm, I'm reading these points um, and you know, at first, you know, at first glance, I'm tending to agree with Dre. I don't think it's that different from Arminianism. So, for example, um, you've got sovereign election. And what sovereign election is basically saying that God elects those who he knows will respond in faith to him, right? But and ultimately, his election comes from the mind of God. Now, 
ultimately, I think when it comes to the election discussion, my view of election, I think ultimately all of these, all of these systems are missing the point of election. Cause I don't think election, the Bible is talking about individuals. Um, I think election, the Bible is talking about a group of people and anytime we try to make it about individuals, it's where we get into the, where we get muddled on all of these discussions. And, you know, again, you know, the, the response to me, because I hold to, you know, my view would be a corporate view of election. The response to me is, well, groups consist of individuals. And I agree with that, but I just don't think the Bible really answers the individual part. I think the Bible is more just talking about God has elected a people to himself. Um, I don't think it's about individuals. Um, so, um, another part of them is you've I wanna, got. I want to clarify what you just said to why you read that. To, uh, yeah, you so, go ahead. so I I do agree, James, too, that there is a corporate. But when it comes down, and I agree with James' the second statement that that the response is, well, corporate is made of individuals. And but at that point, I, I would not go as I would not go to his third statement, which is what he said. And James may be just misquoting you, but but you said that you don't think it's about individuals. I think it is about individuals in the corporate model, but we just don't have the information about the individual. So that's why when you get to the individual level, you see, you see the two realities affirmed in scripture. So I, yeah. I so I don't, I don't want to go as far to say it's not about the individual election mark. Cause I do believe the individual election is a prerequisite for corporate election because corporates are made of individuals. So I, so I think I, I, I just, whenever I get to this level, it's harder to commentate on it than it is at this level. So I do think, but I do think there's an order of how you understand the corporate to individual or, you know, community to individual to, you know, what's going on. But then you get to the order salutis, which is a whole other issue too. Yeah. Um, and maybe I would, I would say it's not primarily about the individual. I would say it's primarily about the group, but then it does, have, hard. It does have implications for the individual. And ultimately the implications for the individual is that you are in Christ, right? That's it only has implications for the individual in that they are part of the group of the elect. Right. And so that's the implication. And again, that, you know, for some people are, they're unsatisfied with that. Cause that's a, you know, some people might say that's a non-answer. Um, but I'm again, I think, you know, any, any, if you want to go into a bigger picture here of, you know, Molinism, Calvinism, Arminianism, we're all trying to answer questions of the relationship between sovereignty and free will. And mm -hmm. I just think in any discussion on this, you, you're going to have to eventually just become really comfortable with tension and just realizing that there is tension between the two. And anytime we try to solve the tension is where we're going to get into problems. Um, yeah. And so, and we're never going to solve the tension because and that problem really is everything. This is what I was taught at seminary. Every theological conversation, if you boil it down, it's going to go back to this problem of evil. Um, and, and that's what I would ask is, is does, does Molinism respond to that problem of evil? And it doesn't. Um, here's my class notes on it. Here's a place where the problem of evil is not answered by Molinism as well. It says that God has chosen a world. He's actualized a world in which evil occurs. He knew it in advance. He planned for it. He didn't stop it. So in that sense, God would still be the author of evil and Molinism. So it's not, it's a system that is claiming that it solved the problem, but it doesn't because at the end of the day, it's still God is actualizing a world where there is evil. And so everything's going to go back down to this problem of evil, which every worldview, by the way, has to also deal with. Yeah, it's true. Because, I mean, let's try, let's play out your implication there. 
Um, Because what you're saying is, is let's say there's an infinite number of, I mean, you're arguing the multiverse theory. So there's an infinite number of universes. Possible universes. Is there there a situation where Adam and Eve chose not to sin, right? Was there no singular point, like, of all the choices that were made where Adam and Eve wouldn't choose to sin or where no one would choose to sin? And would that not be the ideal world? Yeah, that would not be the one he chose, yeah. Yeah, he didn't choose it, so therefore, all of a sudden, he is now the author of evil because he didn't choose the world. So it doesn't matter which one. And so now, and so once again, you're back to the same problem that Calvin and Calvinism Arminians is really arguing about this problem, this idea of free will and evil and, and sin. And so, yeah. Um, so no, that's a long way to answer your question. Um, I, I used to call myself a Molinist. I did. Um, until I really thought through it logically. And then I got to the point, I said, this actually doesn't fix my problems. Like I thought it's just a fun word exercise. I don't really see it in scripture either. Um, you know, at all. Um, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a construct that we place on it. So I'm not, I'm not again, it's better than most, but it, it didn't answer my core problem. Um, when it comes to the problem of evil and it didn't actually let me face the reality of why is there evil and really, and that's all, that's the elephant in the room in every conversation. And, 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 um, and so, you know, I'm not against more. I said, I wasn't more this once I would would have proclaimed that. Um, yeah. I mean, and and again, you're going to, the other problem with it is, okay, if there's a, there's this place where there's infinite number of choices, well, why did God choose this one where these people chose him? Yeah. Or instead of this one where these people, yeah, you're still, you're still in the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I, and again, I think, you know, for me, some of this comes down to making it about the individual instead of the individual is a part of it, but it's not the whole story and it's not. Which one do you emphasize? Yeah. Cause you have both realities, but which, and and, and that's why I go (laughs) with the view that emphasizes more God's God's doing man's response. You have to have them both because they're in scripture, but which one are you going to emphasize? And so Molinistic Arministic is going to emphasize man's choices, you know, God's response. I, I, that's where I'm at theologically. So any thoughts from anybody? I mean, we, yeah. we've talked Questions? a lot about it. Um, anybody like I'm completely confused or anybody like, Hey, I don't agree with you on that, which you yeah. can feel free to completely disagree with us. Um, We'll tell you. Noah, what are your, <laughs> Noah, what are your thoughts on Molinist? Yeah. Are you a Molinist, Noah? I just totally disagree completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, guys are, no, you guys are wrong. That, it would make well, it more fun podcast episodes, so go ahead. If you want to. It would, it would. Well, I just, this is something I've just come upon recently, and I just, you know, have always heard. You know, I feel like the tension is always between Calvinism and Arminianism, um, but I, I really do feel like this is a um, a valid, you know, whether it's true or not. It's I think it's a very valid view, and I think it's just worth a lot. Of, I think it's worth consideration, um, and because it's in the in between that tension, because it tries to deal with both, which I feel like a lot of people claim to be in the middle of. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I wonder why this isn't as popular and it isn't as like dealt with. Um, yeah. I will say I would be attracted to it because of that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I tried. And, and back whenever, whenever I claimed to be a Molinist, which was several years of my time, especially at DBE when I was there, that was the view I held to and I argued. Um, 
because I did believe it was the middle ground. Um, I just don't believe it's the middle ground anymore. I think it's on, I still think it's on the same side as, as a, it's still emphasizing man's choice um, at the base of it. And so that's, so, so I, that's where I would push back and say, maybe it's not as popular because, it, and if you look at the writings on it, um, cause it's been around for a while. Um, that's pretty much been the consensus is that this is an interesting view. It, it's really, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I, that was really the attractive thing is it was fun. I could, I sounded smart whenever I was like, Oh, there's multi, there's infinite possibilities based on our choices. But you see what I just said? It's based on our choices. God chose. And, and then I had somebody finally say, is that what you believe? Um, it was a professor who said, do you believe that based on our choices, God chose? And that is the fundamental part of Molinism, that God saw the infinite ones of our choices and he chose. And, and I, I'm far more on the model now where I want to say based on God's actions, you know, man chose. Based on what God's done first, then we respond. We, we're responding to God's revelation, God's plan. Uh, but, and it's still the same problem. It's still there, but... You know, in my mind, um, where I'm at now theologically, I'm definitely more on the, I lean more towards in this area, more reformed. Um, so there's my cards. Um, By the way, if anyone wants to like know, maybe like a, is there like a famous person that holds to this? Uh, William Lane Craig would be yep. a person yep. to look into. He's, he's one that would hold to Molinism. Um, and so. I, I, I want to say Alvin Plantinga does too. I don't. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I'm honestly just looking at Wikipedia. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> who, holds, who holds to Our this? Our podcast is so credible. With uh, I know. Uh, here we go. Let's look at the more. I knew William Lane Craig did, and that's why a lot of people. That's what. And that was whenever I was really reading a lot of his books too, and that's whenever I was really influenced towards it. But William Lane Craig is is not reformed in a lot of ways, and he is. Um, he's he's apologetic based, and so and typically the more apologetic based you're going to go. This this may be completely wrong, but what I found in my experience is more apologetic based are going to lead more towards Arminianistic tendencies. I can um, see that. Whereas more uh, exegetical based are going to lead more towards reform tendencies. And that's, that's an oversweeping generalization. So it's not true of everybody. And but. people who are more just right won't hold the really either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause me and James are not, I mean, there's reform. People would say that we're not reformed enough. And there's people that would say that we are too reformed. I mean, yeah. you know, and I, and I like I mean, that tension. Part, part of me would want to hold a Molinism just to annoy reformed people, but yeah, yeah. No, but that's not, I'm not going to hold to it for just yeah. that reason. So, but yeah, I, I, most people would probably get frustrated with us because we don't, I am people would probably get frustrated with me just because I will, they might say I don't commit to one of those systems, but I, I, I commit to the Paulinist view. <laughs> I mean, I'm very, very upfront about I'm that. I'm just very Pauline and I'm very Pauline the Testament view of it all. You know? Just yeah. a biblical view of it, honestly. Yeah. And, and where, and where Calvin is Pauline, then I'm Calvinist to that extent that Calvin's yeah. Pauline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. Well, some people act like Paul is Calvinist and I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no, that can't be. <laughs> that's, that's actually not even possible. That's that's a logical, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so, so go read Romans, go read those things, figure out what Paul is really saying, and that and that's where James, you know, we're going to get this idea. There's a very heavy corporate element. Um, there is a there is predestined election for knowledge. What do those mean in the context? Um, look at the pronouns around it. Um, who is he talking to? Is really important whenever you get into these debates and. And we and, and don't jump in these debates too unless you understand Paul's heart too because whenever Paul's talking about some of these controversial things around you know the Calvinist Arminius debate, Paul is saying, "Hey, by the way, I'm willing to go to hell so that some might be saved." And yeah. if you don't understand that passage, then you are disqualified from having the rest of the conversation because Paul's heart was for people. 
he had a gospel-centered, Christotelic point of view that he was chasing to the extent that he was even willing to say, let me go to hell so that some might be saved. And if you, right. can't, if you can't exegete that passage, then you're not allowed, in my opinion, to exegete what follows um, and, and what comes before it. So I'm yeah. strong on that, too. I would also pay attention to what is he predestined us to, um, especially when you get into Ephesians. Yeah. You know, those he foreknew, he also predestined to adoption, right? A lot of times, I think we, we just stop at those he foreknew, he also predestined. Um, you know, Romans, same thing. But I, and most of the time when you see that, he predestined us to something. And, and really what he does most of the time is he predestined us to, and it talks about what is the result of those who are in Christ? What, are, what is the blessing of those who end up in Christ? So adoption, you know, a lot of times I say, you know, and, and you know, this isn't a perfect statement um, because there's other passages where, but oftentimes predestination is referring to what God does with the people, with his people. Like, in other words, what is God predestined that he would do with the people of God, right? So he's predestined that the people of God would be adopted. He's predestined that the people of God would have the spirit. He's predestined that the people of God would have this identity, um, so I don't know if it's talking about this idea he predestined to save them, but he predestined to do what he predestined what he would do with those who would be saved. Um, and, and I would even argue too, in these passages, who is the, us? who is the, those that he, you gotta, because I, I would argue in Ephesians, he's about to go to where he's talking about two groups of people. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so you also gotta be careful because we, we assume that every time we see a you or a we or a us or an I, that, you know, that it's, that, oh, that's me he's talking about. So is yeah. he talking about the believers or is he talking about a certain, is he talking about the Jews or the Gentiles? And so there's a lot of debate over that too, but yeah. um, you got to be careful because, because there is this, the fact that God predestined, he chose Israel and he did not choose others, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's part of his pre his predestination, his plan. You know, I'm choosing Israel to be my people and, and then he brings the Gentiles in. And so you got to also think, because well, so, that's well, really well, part of Paul's thinking too. And there are certain situations where election does refer to an individual, but the situations are like Ephesians one, the elect one is Christ. And so what God elected Christ, he elected those in Christ, those who were in Christ before the foundation of the world. So then when he says I'm electing Christ, he also means that he's electing a group. That is the group who are in Christ. Now how this applies to how you get into Christ, Ephesians one doesn't really it doesn't really answer that on the predestination side. That God predestined those who would be engrafted in Christ. No, it just says He elects Christ, and thereby electing Christ, He elected those who are in Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's as far as He goes. Yeah. Um, but you also get the you know Romans is a good reference. Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated yeah. J- Jacob. I you know if you want to even go to the chose and not chose, and then that's back to so that you do get into and that's why I'm still yeah. And, and, still beyond I, mean, I would argue a lot of times those those situations where representative it's it's a it's a person who's elected for a special task right so when god elects abraham god electing abraham is not let's let's just play this out let's say we're talking about there are individuals elected for salvation well god electing abraham is not the same thing as god electing me to be saved yeah abraham is elected to be the father of many nations right or David is elected to be the line through which Christ would come. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, or Moses is elected to, I mean, these are specific special tasks that God gives these people 
that aren't given to us. Um, so it's, it's what you uh, said earlier, James. You said, what are they, what are they, election just means chosen. What are they chosen for? It's, it's your same yeah. point. And, and you got to look at that. And so I think even Ephesians, who is the, who's the ones being chosen? What are they being chosen for? Um, is it always salvific? You know, you, and you gotta, you gotta, you can't just have your theology of Calvinism, Arminianism, and then go look at these verses. You need to really go into what is the author talking about here? What is their understanding? What is this rich history? Um, who is that, you know, who's Ephesians addressed to, you know, um, all these different things. Um, yeah, but that, that point, Abraham was chosen and, and his people, you know, by that, you know, I'm making a great nation. So therefore the, the people that come from Abraham are chosen for something. What is that? Um, and is that it maybe Ephesians is talking about this whole point of they're chosen for God's redemptive plan. And now you Gentiles who are once not part of this are now coming to be part of this. Yeah. So now you're back into that. And then of course, Paul's making other points in different places. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, we just lump all these verses together and say, look, here's verse one, verse two, verse three. Look, clearly this, this shows you my view and you got to look at them in context. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. How is, how is Paul, how is Paul incorporating the, this passage and his overall argument is incredibly important. Um, yeah. You know, Romans is telling a story. Um, a lot of times we've viewed Romans as this very disjunctive, we almost make it this very disjunctive thing. Um, but like Romans one all the way through 11 is this, this incredible story from creation until now. Uh, and so understanding it all together um, is really important. And I think sometimes we misunderstood Romans because we don't understand it all together. Mm. Um, yeah. So or we try to read it backwards or something crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 That's a conversation me and James had a long time ago. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Anyways, nothing against the, that book. I think it's a good, I have it on my shelf. So, but anyways, um, all right. Hey, so uh, we haven't heard from, you know, Noah, Anthony, uh, Bree or Lexi all are on my screen. Do you have any questions too? Or anything you want to, we got time for about another 20 minutes or so, but, I have a question. Yes. Yes. Hey, I'm not a big Bible scholar. Or nerd like us or, yeah. I have more of a practical question. Good. I was hoping, I was hoping you would. Um, so I, no one knows about this because I, literally all I've been reading are things about <laughs> politics. Okay. Daryl Bach. He's my pro, that's my prof. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I know this is a DTS professor. So mm-hmm. anyway. So I guess how does, maybe my question should be phrased in how does your faith, or how do you go about the process of choosing who to vote for? You know, it's a really hot topic in the midst. Yeah. Well, even, I guess, pre-coronavirus it was. Um, how, do you, how does your faith, I guess, influence, like, the way that you see politics, the way that you choose who to vote for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, one, we actually have that as a topic on our brainstorm list to eventually get into. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Although I put in parentheses in case we want to take a few people off. That's literally what our notes say. It's like, you want to make people mad. You might do that a little bit too. Yeah. Dre, you want to start with that? So one, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, so I, whenever, whenever Daryl box book came out that you had, and that I'm really glad to read that. So um, I was actually sitting, we had these things at, D- at DTS called chapter house and um, it was in our library and it was like a Thursday afternoon. And it was like, 
the whole point of it was chapter houses are what monks used to do a long time ago. They would actually meet because they did, did all their like religious stuff, but they'd actually meet in the, in the monasteries at a certain time and just talk about theology and stuff that, you know, they didn't actually do during the formal duties of their day. It's called chapter house. And so DTS said, okay, we're going to have a moment where outside of the, the typical class things, let's get together and let's talk with profs about this. And so they invited Daryl Bach right after he wrote that book um, and a couple of other professors. There's two other professors and they talked about this very issue. Um, and I really want to remember, um, I think the how would Jesus vote, if I remember right, and maybe um, this is just wrong, but if I remember right, Daryl Bach said that the original name for that book was supposed to be Would Jesus Vote? And the publisher said, <laughs> let's not even go there. Um, but I think I think it's a good question, and I do think that's a good book for people that are wanting to go through. I do trust Daryl Bach on that. He's, you know, talked about dispensationalism earlier. He's progressive, so I don't agree with all of his hermeneutic, but – um, he does a really good job at cultural engagement. We've recommended his podcast before called uh, The Table. It's from Dallas Seminary, and yeah, they've got a couple yeah. episodes on it too. I, I, I would say I, I would say this is, a, this is a personal question when it comes to politics. Um, I'm not going to give you my views on it because uh, this is not the time or place for that because we will post this, but I will say that um, you need to remember that that this world that we are in right now is not our, is not our home currently. It will be our ultimate home one day. I do believe that everything new heavens, new earth, but right now we are, we are sojourners in a sense in this world. And so, um, so before, before I identify as anything, I must make sure that I actually, I even say my identity should only be in Christ. And I should be concerned with the matters of, of Christ's kingdoms and talk back to this Davidic throne, all that kind of stuff. We, I, that's my primary concern. Um, so give to Caesar what Caesar's, you know, is Jesus' response. I, I don't see Jesus' life involved um, so much into politics. I don't, see, I don't see Jesus involved to that extent. I see him part of God's mission. And so we have to be sure that that becomes our primary thing. I was watching, I've watched two Netflix documentaries during all this, one about called Tiger King, um, another one called uh, Don't Mess With Cats. That's a, I don't recommend it. You know, and it just amazes me that there's these people that just dedicated their lives towards cats and tigers. And I'm not bashing those. I'm not saying anything against them. I'm not even recommending them. Um, I'm just saying, I remember watching those and thinking, man, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I'm not trying to shame anybody, um, but I do think as Christians, our primary identity should be the kingdom and what Christ is about. And we have to be careful because we are so drawn. We are like sheep. We are so drawn to things um, that, that um, maybe end up causing more harm than good. So that's my prerequisite to the conversation. Hmm. Handing it over to James for the fun detail stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'll start like, because I do agree. I agree. I think it's a much more practical question where you've got to take biblical principles and just apply them because so I was actually thinking about this earlier today. Um, you know, when you talk about voting, it's like, okay, do we have some sort of biblical precedence in the Bible that tells us how to vote? And the reality is no, because there's not a single government in the Bible, in the background, that's like our government, right? Yeah, that's so a huge let's, point. Yeah. Let's, go from the, let's go from the Old Testament. So, you know, you start with, um, I mean, Genesis doesn't really have a whole lot going on. I mean, people were in clans and tribes and all this sorts of thing. And just the patriarch, you know, oftentimes was the one who was, who was over and who made a lot of the decisions. And so you don't really have much of voting there. Go to Exodus, you know, they're in a government with Egypt and Pharaoh was just, you know, it was kind of like a monarchy basically. And so it's just whoever was 
in the line of Pharaoh was became the next Pharaoh. Um, Moses is appointed by God as leader over Israel at this point. So then Joshua is appointed by God. Then you go into judges and the judges are appointed by God. They're not voted on by the people. God just appoints a judge. Um, then you go to, when you finally get into kingship, Saul's appointed by God. David's anointed by God. Once David's anointed by God, God makes the covenant with David and just whoever's in David's line becomes the king. Now this gets a little, and then when you get uh, Israel divides into two kingdoms, uh, Israel and Judah, but still it's Jeroboam takes over uh, Israel. You have Rehoboam, the descendant of David, who's over Judah. And again, it's just whoever's in their line is who becomes the next king. You don't really have people that come in and vote. Um, and, and then you get into the New Testament where, where the, they're in the Roman Empire and mm-hmm. it's the Roman emperor and he appoints kings. He appoints vice regents. He appoints all these people. And so you don't have, so my point is, is you really don't have a single example that I can think of. Now, if anyone can point to one and prove me wrong, then I'm willing to listen to that. But I don't think you have a single, at least cultural background in the Bible where people could just vote yeah. on who would be their ruler. Um, so you start with that. So there is not some sort of biblical precedent that tells us how to do this. Um, really the only thing, a lot of the things that scripture say, or, you know, you know, you have, you know, you have Jesus telling his disciples to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God what's God's. You have, yeah. you have Romans 13 that tells us to respect those who are in authority, that they're God ordained. And again, Romans is written in the midst of a Roman empire where corrupt Caesars are. On yeah. the phone. So what do you do with all that? Um, you know, we think sometimes our presidents are bad. I mean, you read about, I honestly even read about the Kings of Israel and read about the Roman Caesars. I mean, that, those guys, the were, ones that were supposed to be like of Israel, the godly, the ones that are supposed to be, yeah, these are morally, God's people are incredibly morally bankrupt people. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think you start with that. So then it becomes a point of, okay, you know, I've got to then figure out what are my own convictions from scripture that guide how I vote. Now, I do think it's a good thing for us to vote because we've been given that freedom. And that I think you can go into argument about maybe it's good stewardship, right? To, you know, if you've been given this, then to exercise that yeah. as being a good steward of, you know, uh, of what's been given to you. But then, yeah, what, and then you get into the muddle of, because the question I, I think you're ultimately getting at is, you know, how, how much, you know, because a lot of the question, you know, especially that came up in the last election, how much does the morality of the person affect how I should vote for that person? I, I think there's times we can go too far where we put so much faith in a political leader that mm. you know, we act like this political leader is going to bring you know, I, I saw this in the last election where you would have thought, um, you know, I'll just go ahead and say you thought Donald Trump was Jesus come back. And um, I think that's too far. You know, you know, Donald, Donald Trump being the president is going, isn't going to bring revival to the country. I mean, that's not what's going to happen. Um, so we can put too much faith in that. Um, but then we can also be, uh, you know, overly critical or overly black and white about these things, like saying, if you don't vote for Donald Trump, you're not voting on Christian principles or the other side. Hey, if you're voting for some guy who's as, you know, got this morality issue with Donald Trump, then you're morally bankrupt. You know, I mean, so 
I don't think either of those, either of those, both of those answers are non-starters. They're not really good answers. Um, you know, I think a lot of that's just up to the individual. Uh, and I think you have to measure, because let's be honest, there's not a single political candidate that's going to run that's going to be, you know, morally a good person, like you know, or that's not going to have moral issues or a lot of failings here. Um, so I guess you just kind of determine, you know, what issues are important to you um, and what issues are not as important. And then ultimately, as Dre said, not putting ultimate faith in who we vote for to be the next president or to be in government leadership. You know, you make as informed a decision as you can, mm. do your best to do something that matches with your convictions. Um, and, you know, but then ultimately, I think it becomes a, difficult question when we put all our faith in who's going to be in government leadership. That's where it gets really hard. Um, but when I think if we put it in right perspective, we might have an easier time, you know, voting with as clear conscience as we can while also realizing, Hey, you know, ultimately this isn't where my hope lies. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of, that's kind of without like going into, you know, really practical, should you vote for Donald Trump or not? I don't really think me saying either way what I would think on that. I don't think that's really that helpful because I think people can make arguments either way yeah. that, you know, would be good arguments. So, And if you look at the history of the church too, <clears throat> in the pre-Christian world, um, which I think our post-Christian world is looking more like the pre-Christian world daily, in the pre-Christian world um, – it's almost like the governments and all that stuff. It, it was the, the church, the early church was not necessarily concerned with that. They were, they were, they were dying for their faith. They were, and then that's how the church grew is in this time that was hostile towards them, you know, and then, then you have the Christian era. Um, and then, then you even go and you get, you get the history of, uh, you know, the domination I made, you know, the Baptists come from the Anabaptists who were separation completely of church and state. So they would say, don't, don't vote, have nothing to do with it too. And then you go into where we are now. So you see the church has gone, if you look in history, I, this was just a couple examples, but you'll see people have been wrestling with this question um, for, for a long time. Um, and so I think, I think look at what, you know, James's points are really important. Um, are there any good leaders out there? I think, I think of all the systems that we have, I think um, America's government is probably the best one out there, but it's not perfect because humans are not perfect. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's the best one I think we've got, but it's, it's not going to work because of depravity. Um, doesn't matter how many people you put in charge, people are broken. And even God's back to his original system. He never meant for there to be Kings. And you know, that's, that was Israel's request. They wanted to be like everybody else. Right. Um, yeah. Jesus even says, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, I think it's in Matthew where, uh, where Peter, the, the, you know, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus and said, you know, we want you to, which one of my sons are you going to let say your right and your left. Right. And Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Um, this obsession with who's in the chair, this obsession with who's in charge, um, this obsession with how things are going um, can become quickly unhealthy. Um, so once again, don't hear me say that we shouldn't be involved. We shouldn't have stewardship, but, um, but there's, well, a, there's a larger story that we have to we have to realize and live into no matter what's happening in the world, especially if the world keeps going the way that every country goes, every country fails, every country dies. Um, every country has bad leaders. This is what happens in the world. Um, we're called above it in a sense. 
Well, let me meddle a little more. I mean, you know, a lot of people, the focus is on we should fight for our right to worship, right? We should mm-hmm. fight for church rights and all this stuff. And yeah, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's perfectly fine to yep. fight for those things. But at the same time, is that our primary responsibility to fight for these right. church rights? I mean, again, you look at the New Testament church, they, they didn't have many rights. You know, they eventually mm. had hardly any rights, and mm. they grew when their rights were restricted. They yeah. grew when these rights were taken away. Um, yeah. The, the church has never valued self-preservation. The church has always valued sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see this at the beginning. They're not, preser- they're not valuing self-preservation. In fact, the martyrs, it's almost becomes a, 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 a super pseudo-spiritual standard of your formation if you die a martyr. Um, they always highly value sacrifice. It's not, it's never been about self-preservation. It's always been about sacrificial love. I mean, that's the message of Christianity. Um, And so protecting me, protecting my rights and what I deserve. um, That's always been back to the day of the Lord conversation we had earlier. That's what the prophets are crying out. God, when are you going to do this? We're waiting for you, you, it's your day. You're the one that's going to bring justice. You're the one that's going to bring restoration. We're waiting on you. That's always been the cry of God's people. It's never been, you know, do it yourself. God, why are we waiting for God? Let's go pick it up and let's go storm the gates of hell. Like, that's not the Christian message. It's always been one of suffering and waiting and hope and expectation and trust. Um, And so these attitudes should inform the way we respond. And so be wise, make your choices, you know, but um, but don't, don't slip into pride and the same, the same traps are there, you know, um, and so there's a king in church history. He's about to be baptized because he wants to be a Christian. And right before he goes down, he holds up his, I think it was Charlemagne, King Charlemagne. He holds up his sword as he's being baptized in the water. And, um, and he says, I- I'll-, I'll give everything but this, my sword, my power, right? And there was this huge debate in the early church um, in, the, in, the, in the papacy of, you know, who baptized has the true power. And so one guy, you know, doesn't let the, the, the papacy baptize. You know, so there's all these debates over authority and rule. And that is not so among you as Jesus' words. We, we live for a greater kingdom. The, the God of the universe who could have come, who was expecting to be a militant ruler, he was, he, they thought he'd come in and overthrow Rome. He's born in a manger. Um, and so these are basic stories and basic principles of our faith um, that all of a sudden when voting time comes, we just throw it all out the door and we, we act like those have not informed our story or shaped our lives. And so I would really argue to keep those at the foremost and then do what James said. I completely agree. Be wise. You got the opportunity to vote. You got a privilege. Um, you know, vote, you, you, you know, the biblical principles, you know, these things. And so take advantage of those things, but if they're gone one day, or if people don't agree with you, um, there's no need to have division over it. In fact, we're guaranteed that one day it's going to happen. You know, we're guaranteed one day that this world is, uh, is, is you're guaranteed. If you look at history, that the kingdoms overthrow kingdoms, this is part of it. Um, and so we shouldn't be surprised whenever things get tricky and, um, we shouldn't compromise our values in the midst of it too, either. So. Hmm. Yeah. Any more thoughts on it? Good question. Yeah, I was just going to say it's just a difficult thing. I think, especially when, I mean, yeah, just coming from the background I come from and just, uh, I let you touched on it earlier, just about, you know, him being the, the champion of the faith or the God sent, you know, leader of this nation and, I think that's just a really strong point uh, or a strong statement, you know, um, oh, yeah. so the yeah. dangers in that, but when you're surrounded by it, you know, and having questions with that and wrestling through it, I think it's difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, people tend to, it's hard to have those conversations because let's just be honest, people tend to get really contentious when it comes to those. And we do, we tend to throw Christian love out the door when we have those conversations, right? We get really, yeah, so um, it is a difficult, but I think if you can start with knowing it's a bit of a difficult issue and it's not black and white, there's a lot of things you have to work through. Uh, you know, I think you're, you're at a, you're at a good starting point where you can have good conversations and good thoughts about it. Yeah. We, we did a podcast on, on engagement in public square a long time ago. It might've been season one, James, but the rule of thumb that I've always held to is, is you always seek to understand before you seek to criticize. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And people from both sides of it have valid points. And, and I would always say, well, you know, I always ask the question, what's your point? Where's your source for that point? Where's, where's it rooted in? And then where do you find that point in scripture? That's, that's a great, that's a great cultural engagement with other believers. You know, what, what is your belief? Tell me more about it. What, what is that rooted in? What, what principles, what truths is that rooted in? And then where are those truths found in scripture? And you walk them through that and now you're seeking to understand. And then that's actually, and most people, they're going to get to question two and they're going to be like, well, you know, and, um, and then that's where we actually grow and we encourage and we spur one another on towards love instead of just assuming that what this person just said is, you know, instead of me just taking what they just said and not looking behind it, that's, that's me taking blanket statements and attacking. And that's, that's division. Um, there's a person behind that. There's a thought process. There's stories behind that. And so we want to hear people out. Um, and we don't do that really well when it comes to these conversations um, because we live in a world of, of ones and zeros, um, of posts and anti-posts. And so... Um, not so among you. That's just, I, I, think, I think that we, we can't be playing these power games. We're here to love. And I promise you, I promise you that I've, I've studied history. James has studied history. I'm sure some of you have too. There's been some terrible people that have been ruling countries and had success or had failures. Uh, they're gone in history and we don't really think about them anymore and they're forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and so will everybody in this chat. And so will everybody, I mean, um, you know, 13th president for, I mean, some, some, some historical people can tell you all the presidents. I can't, right. Mm-hmm. Some of them are good. I mean, and so, and this is just our meaningless little country that's existed in the last, you know, uh, era of this, of this world, you know, but it's going to go again. And so we, we must invest in things eternal. And mm-hmm. um, once again, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I encourage people to, to live in light of eternity, live in light of your forever family, live in light of your forever reality, um, focus on that because Jesus, whenever he comes, he's not concerned with overthrowing the government. Um, even whenever he heals, he's not even there to heal people. We're like, why didn't he, why, I mean, think about it. He's walking through crowds and he heals this one leopard. There's tons of people he could have healed. Why didn't he? Because he has something in game in mind that's far beyond uh, what those people can see. But we get so consumed with our little worlds, with our little blinders. And God is constantly inviting us, come into my story, come into my world, see what, see what I'm doing among you. Um, you know, and yeah, and, and, we, and it's it's valid to cry out in the middle of it. God, why this? When will you come? That's what the psalmists are about. They're mostly about lament, and that's a valid human response. But the psalmists always bring us back to this place of, but the day of the Lord will come. That you are doing something unbeknownst to us. That our ways are not your ways. Your ways are greater than ours. Your ways are higher than ours. And so, um, I would just argue, when it comes to politics, I think it's a it's a good show show of where our spiritual maturity is and where our hope is found. Um, my hope's not found in an election, whether it's good or bad, I will live through whatever God hands to me and I'll do my part and I'll be responsible as far as he's called me to be. And I'll live with those principles. But at the end of the day, I set that on the table and I say, okay, I got to love people in the midst of this, um, you know, and, and not self-preservation, but always sacrifice. So good stuff. All right. Maybe you have time for one more question. Um, 
Real quick, I know Anthony has a question. Um, I want to give Lexi. Do you have anything you want to ask, or we could? If you don't have anything, we can address Anthony's question. All right, Lexi. All right, Anthony. What's your question? Um, my question is: um, Is the gospel about Jesus Christ, or is it about? the kingdom of heaven because Jesus always preached about kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And then now we talk about the gospel because Jesus died on the, on the cross, but like Jesus did not preach about that. Like he told the disciples, I'm going to die. But like, he never was just like, he always focused on the kingdom of heaven. I feel like that's something that we don't Hmm. ever talk about. And most people don't even know what the kingdom of heaven is. So is the gospel the kingdom of heaven? And if it is, what is the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. Um, Dre, you want to start? Or you want me to start on that one? You go ahead and start. I'll start on the last yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be a little careful about distinguishing between the two. Now, I would agree that probably an unhelpful message about the gospel is to never talk about the kingdom, that the kingdom is part of the message. Um, but the good news of the gospel, God, I mean, if we're going to take gospel for, you know, if we go to a basic definition of what is the gospel, you know, is the gospel good news? The gospel is the good news of the ushering in of the kingdom through the death and the resurrection of Christ. So, in other words, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, the gospel is centered on Christ, but the implication of the gospel is that the kingdom has arrived and that we're in a you know, I would say with the kingdom, we're in already not yet state of the kingdom, right? In other words, that the kingdom is realized through the resurrection of Christ. You read this in Colossians 1, where it talks about how he has, through resurrection, he's become the head of the body, the church. You know, all things are, are reconciled to him. Ephesians 1 talks about how he is, he is seated at the right hand of God, far above every ruler, authority, power, every name, every, every name that is named in heaven and on earth. And so there is an idea that the kingdom is already here. Um, you know, Jesus, even in the Gospels, when you're talking about it, he says, repent for the kingdom of, is at hand. And so um, so we have experienced the kingdom already, but then there's a not yet part of the kingdom. That is, you know, we talk about the second coming. That is the full realization of what the kingdom of heaven actually is and what it looks like. And, ex- and fully experiencing what it's like for Christ to be on the throne and to be over all things with all powers completely submitted to him. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, is it more about the kingdom? Is it more about Christ? I mean, I think ultimately it's about Christ, but in being about Christ, it has implication. It is, I, maybe this is in being about Christ. It is also about the kingdom ultimately because Christ is the king. You know, right? He he is the one at the right hand of God. He is cast in the role of being the king, and so um, mm. so I think when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God's at hand. What he's announcing is the king is here, right? The one who will be exalted to this kingship, right? This is the only one who can usher in the kingdom is the king himself, and that's that's Jesus. So um, so yeah, Dre, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I think the question is is no not not don't take this wrong, Anthony. The question is not formulated in a good form because um, you're pitting you're pitting two things that don't relate. Um, Jesus Jesus' central teaching 
is the is the kingdom, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is the eschatological kingdom. Um, and so, in other words, if you everything Jesus does is connected to the kingdom. So, so our problem is whenever we talk about the gospel, a lot of our views of the gospel is so small. And don't don't hear me say that that the gospel is so big. And so if I say something, I'd say that's, that is good news, right? So Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Like that is the gospel. It's just not the whole gospel because everything that happens in the new Testament, what we said earlier is rooted in the old Testament. And so another way to say that is to understand the end. You have to understand the beginning to understand fully what Jesus has done. You have to understand what has come before because Jesus was a Jew. He's, 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 he's not coming in, um, solo to this new plan. He's not a new religion, right? He's actually coming into the Judaism and to what has already been told. And he's teaching in the temples. He's, he's a Jewish boy. He knows the Torah. He's a, he's a rabbi, right? Um, and so, and so and his teaching is about the kingdom. His teaching is saying, Hey, you've, you, you people, you've gone astray. You've misunderstood. True is you got to realize what this has all been about. You've lost focus, right? Um, you, you've gone off, you've gone astray just like you have for, for years and, and you need somebody to come bring you back, but he's more than a prophet because he is, the God himself who's come to fulfill the prophecies, all this stuff. And so, um, and and then I think James brought up a good point. Whenever you talk about kingdom, I I don't think people know what they're talking about. You know, the kingdom of God, you know, is is that, you know, all millennialism comes and all this different thing. And there's all sorts of things, but the first question you got to ask is in a kingdom, well, who's kingdom, who's the king. Right. And then if you don't don't get the Davidic king line, you don't know the Davidic covenant, you know, then you're, you're just going to be lost. And so, um, so so all of this stuff, I, I don't, the gospel, the good news is that we started in the garden and it's the end, it's ending of this story. You know, the story is going to end good. Um, and so the kingdom is coming. There's the first kingdom. There's the second kingdom. You know, there's, there's all these different things you can do. And so this idea is saying, and James referenced the already, not yet. Um, you know, that's, that's one eschatology. Um, and then even within the already, not yet, is it already, not yet, or is it, already not yet you know there's two different ways you can look at that um but all of this is 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 the culmination of of god's historical plan and so in a sense um and even the gospel even paul talks about this way you are you were saved you're being saved and you will be saved salvation is a three-tier process Mm -hmm. um and so the it all is going to culminate in this kingdom of god um i'm a millennialist so there's my card on that so (laughs) it's going to happen then um, you know, that's my view. So I'm not all millennialist. I think that, I think there's going to be a physical kingdom. There is a Davidic King. Is Jesus on the throne or not? There's all these questions there, but Jesus is coming to teach about that. And he's coming to play a part. In fact, the central part in the bringing of the kingdom of God. And so, so what he does is he inaugurates, this is what Hebrews would talk about, right? That we, that we now have a priest. We now have a, we have, we have a priest who's come and he's better than what was before. We have now a better, Jesus is better than the system that was there. He's inaugurated the new system. He's a not, and so he's inaugurated the king and it goes back to all of these old Testament patterns and thoughts and traditions. And so um, Hebrews is really going to be a good place to talk about all that. So, so what is the central message? Um, we are gospel focused, but I think, I think to understand the gospel, you fully, you need to understand the old Testament fully you need to understand this principle of what God is doing, what he's always doing and how he's, how he's his plan in this world. Um, which is from second Samuel, second Samuel 17 or first Samuel, uh, from the, that, the Davidic covenant, you know, second, there's a kingdom. Seven. second, what was it? Second Samuel seven. seven yeah. Chapter seven. I don't know why I said 17. Yeah. Second Samuel seven. Right. Well now there's this, there's this Davidic promise. And so this, that kingdom metaphor starts then and is picked up from then on. And so God is now using this kingdom language back in the old Testament to describe his redemptive plan in history that will culminate um, at the kingdom of God. So 
lot of things there though. And that's that now you're really hearing all my cards in my view. You know, if someone's listening, you'll be, Oh, you say, Oh, I know, I know what Dre believes now. If you, if you know what you're listening for. Um, but, yeah. but that's there. So James may have a different take on it, but. Well, and ultimately I think understanding the scope of the gospel is important. And Dre, you were hitting on that. Cause a lot of times we make, we make the gospel about individual salvation and that's part of it. And that's the good news for us as individuals Yeah, is that we have individual salvation. We have deliverance from sin. We, that we get to be in Christ. And so the gospel is good news to us for that reason, but the gospel is about far more than that. The scope of the gospel is the idea that all of creation is reconciled back to God, right? The story of Genesis is that when Adam and Eve sinned, the whole of creation is plunged into darkness and is plunged into being separated from God. Romans talks about this. Romans 8 talks about how the create, how we groan with creation. The creation is groaning for its reconciliation back to its creator. And so the good news of the gospel is not just that we are made new and we are saved, but that the creation will one day be renewed, that all things will be again brought under God's authority, and all things will once again be good. Um, as as it was at the original creation. Yeah, and, um, and it'll actually be better because you know Exodus nineteen. Yeah, now so it's a it's a kingdom of priests. It's now a kingdom of of, of people yeah. that can mediate with God. It's yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, better. I, I wouldn't ultimately say that God's intention is to restore us back to like the Garden of Eden. Like yeah. you know, it's I not agree. just to restore the original creation. It's it's something that's be- even better yeah. than the original creation, and that it's populated yeah. with God's image bearers. It's populated with, like Dre said, a, a kingdom of priests. Uh, a pe- people who bear the image of Christ, right? That we do what God created us to do. That is, we reflect his image um, throughout the whole of creation. So the scope of the gospel is that all creation, and I would say physical and spiritual, everything is again brought under its king. Um, and that and that's the scope of the gospel is the kingdom is, it's all it's all encompassing, all things under under the rightful king, that is Christ. Um, yeah, and, and I, I will, you know, uh, you know, just since Stray revealed this car, I will say I think this happened at the millennium. I'm also a millennialist. I, I do not believe in a – I'm not a millennialist. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but the question there, in case you're not familiar with those terms, the question there is, is this kingdom spiritual or is it physical? You know, that's that's the difference between those two views that we keep saying is um, I have a lot of friends that, that, well, this is a spiritual kingdom that we're in now, and, you know, I think it's a physical kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of a lot of that dualism kind of thing has created those kind of talks. But yeah. But yeah, but yeah, so the idea is there's a kingdom um, and there's even like my seminary used to hold there was two kingdoms. Um, that's no longer true. You know, so there's even been debates on how many kingdoms are there. I think there's just one um, mm. and, and it's inaugurated and, all, and there's all these different things. But but the kingdom part, it really is the back, back to Exodus 19, back to the Davidic covenant. I, I, you're right. It's even back even before uh, Samuel, because because Exodus, I just said it, you know, kingdom of priests like this is. This is what God's been doing, and this is what He's creating, and 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 mm. it really helps us answer the question. It doesn't fully give us like why would God create something instead of nothing? Why is there something instead of that? Why would God do this? It gives us a clue into what God is doing. He's create. He's doing something. He's making us a kingdom of people who who are in relationship with Him of, of love, kindness, peace, all these things. Um, and it's he. This is what He's part of. What He's doing in history um, is this kingdom. And so Jesus is coming in, and He's just picking up on the metaphor that's been going since the Torah back since the days of old is, Hey, um, this is what the earth was meant for. And I'm here to fix it. And that does have individual, like James says, implications, but it's not only back to once again, it's, it's, it has communal. So we're, we're a part, you know, the whole contains parts. And so we do get all the things we preach are not wrong. 
They're just a part of it. And so, the, and that's, that's where in American Christianity, we've, we, often, we often present the gospel as so niched and so individualized and packaged, which is fine, but it's just, the gospel is not just about me. Um, in fact, it's not even about me at all. It's, a, it's about us, you know, um, it's the good news for us and what God's mm-hmm. done for us, but I'm part of it though. And so you, that's where, that's where the, and then the same with the Calvinism thing. It just, you got, you can't miss it, but. Um, we, but we miss out on the depths of what the gospel is. And yeah. that's, that's probably the main problem. Again, it's, yeah. it is about individuals and we should be preaching the gospel and the implication it has for individuals. But, you know, we want to make sure we're giving a clear message of what of the, the entire scope of the gospel, because all of it's good news. And, and um, oftentimes, we leave out the, that latter part and we, we just, we just miss out sometimes on what all the gospel means. And, you know, we get that deeper knowledge of the gospel. I think it makes us much more grateful, makes us much more compelled to live as kingdom citizens now um, carrying out the mission of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, then you get back into um, this idea of back to the very first question, is this the kingdom for the Israel or is the church, how does the church relation to this kingdom? And there's that, now you're back to the, decent. but what you're doing is you're, you're looking at the, they're looking at the narrative of the, of the Bible. You're looking at the old and the new and you're, and you're, and you're puzzling this together and you're starting to get a deeper view of, okay, this is actually the story that God is doing in redemptive history. And then you start putting the pieces in and saying, okay, I'm getting ideas. So you're moving in the right direction as these are good questions to ask. Um, and I'm afraid that we've just stopped at the basic, you know, the, the milk of things, and we haven't gone deeper. And this is this is what the Bible is mostly actually talking about. I mean, First and Second Samuel's kingdoms, you know, Chronicles kingdom. I mean, this kingdom analogy. Jesus comes as central teaching is kingdom, um, and so uh, this is the, this is scripture. Um, but oftentimes we we don't do this. We don't talk about these things, and we just you know stick with these personal messages of. God's got a plan for me. God loves me. God saves me. God wants me to live well. You know, those are great things. But um, at some point, we've got to read the Bible. And this is, Bible spends a lot of time on these things. And so, um, and then people get confused because they open up the Bible. And they're like, what does this have to do with anything? And it has a lot to do with a lot of things because this is important stuff. So, a lot of good truths there. Um, good question. Yeah. All right. All right. I think we, uh, I think we need to uh, wrap up. Um, so thank you guys for coming on and asking questions. Uh, Dre, I think we'll have to do this again. Um, this was, this was, this was fun and really enjoyed being able to engage more people. Yeah. Hopefully y'all enjoyed it too. Um, we want to close with, we know we're always close with some resources. So, um, you know, we know with our book recommendation of the week, but this week we decided to, uh, give some resources that are out there, um, that you can go to during this, uh, Corona pandemic. And so, I'm going to recommend uh, Right Now Media is if you go to rightnowmedia.com or just go type in Right Now Media, you'll find it. Um, and they're giving away, even if your church doesn't have subscriptions, they're giving away um, access to a lot of their curriculums and things to watch. And so maybe instead of binge watching on Netflix, why don't you go watch some of these cool curriculums, these videos, there's lots of cool things. Our college group meets tonight and we're actually going through a, one of the studies called uh, – uh, grace and truth. And so uh, about some LGBTQ issues. And so we're doing that and we're watching those videos and talking about them, but I'm not for sure that's one of the ones you have access to, but there's lots of great stuff out there. Um, so to kind of diversify your, your binging, um, you know, maybe throw in some of those. There's a lot of cool studies on right now media. So that's my recommendation for this. Uh, James, you got anything? Yeah. I'll, I recommend a couple other online resources. Um, one is I'm actually part of an email list. Uh, there is NT Wright online. Uh, so this is a guy we've talked about a couple podcasts. NT Wright's a former most New Testament scholar. 
uh, is from England, uh, based there. Um, but really brilliant guy. Uh, you can sometimes get free courses from him. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to pay, but then sometimes they'll do these deals where they offer free courses or they might just have videos of him giving, um, certain his views on some certain things. So, uh, that might be one worth following. That's NT right online. Um, again, uh, he's, he's a good one to check out. Again, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. I always preference that by saying I don't always agree with N.T. Wright. But as much as we reference him, though, we might as well. It's like, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we he's, mostly he's, agree. <laughs> he's a great thinker, and he's just he's really fun to listen to. So yeah. Um, and then the other one would be uh, from even Dre Seminary DTS. They do have free online courses. Yeah. So if you're um, if you're I probably looking, should have said that one. I just forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If you're looking for something to do during this time, or you want to just kind of dig in. There's a, I was looking through the list. There's some good stuff on there. So, yeah, um, I, I highly recommend, uh, cause I've gone through most of these, um, uh, the Romans one, uh, let's see, that's by Ron Allen. Let's I'm looking through them right now so you can have the best ones. Um, there's one on Luther by John Hanna. Listen, if you, anything by that man, Dr. John Hanna is, uh, I just, it's gold. And so, um, he teaches one on Luther. If you're interested in that, um, Gospel of John by Bailey. He's our thing. Uh, there's one that's really good. That's Howard Hendricks has passed in 2013, but he has a course, how to read the Bible, like a seminary professor. Um, I've actually been recommending that one for a while on DTS free courses. So if you just go to dts.edu uh, and then go in the search bar and type in free courses, it'll bring up a page um, and you can just register for them. And uh, it's good. There's a lot of good stuff on here. Can you trust the Bible? There's one on uh, the Genesis one. I really recommend that one. 10 weeks by Dr. Allman. Uh, Dr. Allman, Dr. Hannah, Dr. Hendricks, these are some, some of my favorite guys. There's one on Revelation, you know, so Anthony's asking a lot of Revelation questions by uh, Stan Toussaint. Uh, Dr. Toussaint just passed whenever I was uh, actually in seminary and brilliant man. So I'm all over that. So, I, you know, those free courses on DTS, um, you know, you watch those, you'll be, you'll, be, uh, you'll be doing good. So incredible men that I can personally attest to that I've taken their courses and watched them for years now. So yeah. great stuff. Uh, I see in our comments. Bree also recommended uh, there's church on a church online summit done by Wheaton College yeah. for COVID nineteen for free for church leaders and how to respond to COVID nineteen. So if you're interested in how do we continue to respond to coronavirus, um, yeah, you can check out Wheaton's online summit on that. Um, and Wheaton's another good school, and so I'm sure I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's good stuff because um, that's uh, Wheaton's a good school. So absolutely. Um, Dre, is that it? That's it. James, go ahead and close us out. And uh, thanks again for everybody that's on the chat. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, if you need anything from either one of us, I mean, at least for me, I can't speak for James, but um, we're here for you during this, uh, this thing. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining us today. Made our conversation a little bit more fun. Normally just me and James staring at each other. Actually, we don't even do online stuff. We just talk, yeah, but uh, yeah. it's good. James gets boring for me sometimes. So I'm glad you're all here. <laughs> <laughs> glad yeah. you're here to give us some conversations. Um, hopefully it was helpful for you. And thanks for everyone else listening today. Uh, James, yeah. close us out. Yeah, again, thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to contact us, uh, those of you who are online now, uh, a lot of y'all know us individually, so you can just contact us that way. But uh, for those who are listening to the recording, uh, if you want to contact us or you have more questions, uh, you can contact us a couple ways. You can do it through um, our website or our Facebook page. That is uh, Good Theological Thursday on Facebook. Follow us there, or you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. I would encourage you to, again, follow and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, For those of y'all who are online now or for those of y'all who are listening, if you have not rated or written a review on the show, uh, we'd love if you could take some time to do that uh, to continue to help spread the show. 
and um, yeah, share with others that you think would benefit from it. But um, yeah, tune in next week. I think we'll, I think we're going to talk about Dre uh, next week. Maybe talk about the Rhett and Lake stuff going on, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I forgot all about that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Rhett and Lake controversy and some of their podcasts has come out, and uh, and we'll we'll talk about some of their things. It's kind of old news now, but uh, but we'll we'll catch up on that for everyone who hadn't dove into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you all for listening and have a good Theological Thursday. See ya. See ya.